Amen. You know, it's a wonderful blessing to be with God's people today, and uh, what a joy to hear you sing praises to his name. And today I want to I wrap up our study in Matthew chapter 10, so if you have your scripture and would open up to Matthew chapter 10, um, we're going to be reading in, in there. Uh, just by way of review, um, you know, I, I want to say this, that um, this message this morning is a challenging message. But I want you to know that it's given in the spirit of love, and uh, I mean it as an encouragement to uh, the body of Christ so that as we grow and as we understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that that we will embrace that uh, and all that that entails. You know, as we go back a little bit here in, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gave encouragement to his disciples before he sent them out into the villages and the, and the cities and towns to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And, and he tells them what it means to be a disciple. He says, if you're going to be my disciple, this is what it means. He also um, attempts to prepare them for some of the opposition they're going to face. That as they go out there, that, that there there's going to be people who oppose them. And, and he attempts to uh, correct some of the misconceptions that they had about him and about his kingdom. One of the misconceptions that they had was that uh, he was immediately going to set up his kingdom, that his kingdom would, would come immediately. And that uh, they expected that the Romans, that his kingdom, he would kick out the Romans who were occupying their land and that they would rule and reign with him in his cabinet, in his administration, uh, uh, as they ruled Israel together. And, and they also expected Jesus to establish peace. You know, like the Old Testament prophets said that when the Messiah would come, that there would be this peace where the lion would, would lay down next to the lamb and that, that kind of thing. And Jesus wants to correct his disciples in, in terms of what their expectations are. Because they're going out and they're thinking that the crowds are going to follow them just like they followed Jesus. Okay? They thought, oh man, this is, we got a popular message. They, they, you know, the, 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 the crowds are going to, are just going to flock to us. And, and man, we're going to, we're going to be successful in all of this. And Jesus is wanting to let them know it's not going to be like that. And he warns his disciples that, you know, the kind of peace he's bringing is a peace that, that comes with both rest and strife. In addition, he reminds them that they are to show loyalty to him above everyone else. There is to be no relation in life. There's to be no possession, no status in life which takes precedence over Jesus, over that relationship And finally, he's going to remind his disciples that no matter where they go, he's constantly going to be looking out for their best interests. I think that's huge. He sends them out, but he's like, I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be looking out for you. I'm going to take care of you. So let's dive in here. Let's hear the word of God beginning in Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 32. And I'm going to read through the end of this chapter. Jesus said this, he said, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that 
I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Verse 40. He who receives you receives me and he receives, uh, he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink. Truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit even now would, would just um, search our hearts. Father, that, that, that you would show us those areas where we may be falling short or lacking. And Father, that this would be a time of, of just um, you searching us out. And Father, that in this we would see our commitment to you, our commitment to Christ. And Father, that it would be a time where we are forever changed because of our time together in your word. Father, we love you. Thank you for the truth. And it's in your name we pray, amen. See, Jesus is finishing up his encouragement for his disciples before he sends them out. And, you know, last week we discovered that some of the key things that Jesus saw as essential to being a disciple and things like the disciple becomes like his teacher. We're not above the teacher. The disciple becomes like his teacher and other things like don't be afraid of men. Don't be afraid of what others can do to you. Instead, fear God. And also know that God cares about you. He cares about the details of your life. He cares about all of the little things in our lives. He cares about the big things too. And his encouragement turns to their own heart motives. He's telling them, you know, this is what it means to be a disciple. You know, this is what you need to do. Understand God cares for you. Then he turns and he's looking inward at his disciples and he's, he's talking about their heart motives and their expectations about the response of the people to their ministry when they go out and preach the gospel and proclaim the kingdom. And I think this is huge because the disciples no doubt expected the response of folks to the gospel to be rosier than they ought to have expected. Folks, we do the same thing. When we think about things, we we go to the extreme one way or the other. We either think things are going to be super great and over the top great, or we think, oh, the the worst scenario could possibly happen. You see, they're, they're, they're thinking optimistically about this. They're thinking, oh man, it's going to be great. They probably expected everything to fall into place, if you will with their entire nation responding to the gospel that they are preaching, their entire nation embracing Christ as the Messiah. 
You know, he had all these followers and, and they're thinking, man, you know, maybe even the enemies are going to be run out of Israel because we're preaching the gospel. It's time to usher in the kingdom. But Jesus wants them to be aware that it's not going to go down like that. It's not going to happen in that way. But the fact that it doesn't happen that way, the way that they envisioned it, does not make it a failure of prophecy, nor a failure of the gospel, nor a failure of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is going to be a fulfillment, a success of the prophecy, a fulfillment of what Jesus told them, a fulfillment of what he is and what he has, the gospel that he has taught them. But understand that the gospel, the gospel brings both peace and conflict. <laughs> Most of that is right in here. Peace and conflict. I mean, the gospel of Christ brings both of those, both peace and strife, conflict. Verse 34 says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Folks, this is hard for us to grasp. As we sit here, we're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. But the disciples are given a paradoxical saying by Christ. And in Hebrew, it's called a mashal. He's giving them a mashal. It's a saying designated and designed to provoke the hearers into being startled in order to think very hard about what is being said, what is being put forth. It's a hard truth that he's wanting them to think deeper about. I mean, think about this. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He is the Messiah who has come to bring peace between God and humanity, between God and us. And here is the Prince of Peace saying, now, under no circumstances, think that I came to bring peace. I mean, right? It's foreign to them. They're thinking, no, you're the Messiah. You're bringing peace. And he says, don't under any circumstance think that I am came to bring peace. I didn't. I came to bring war. Wow. How astonished they must have felt and when, and when, when their ears heard those words. I mean, Jesus is wanting his disciples to think deeply about what he is saying. He wants them and us to understand that while it is true he comes to bring peace, it is not the kind of peace in which the disciples will never have hostilities with the world, in which the world will never oppose them and their preaching. You see, it's not that kind of peace. He wants his disciples to know that though they will experience peace, the peace that passes all understanding, they're going to experience that. They will see many come to Christ. They will even see the church birthed and built up. They will see people from very different walks of life brought together and reconciled within the church because of their connection with Christ. And in that sense, there will be peace, but there will still be those who oppose the gospel. There will still be those who are opposed to Jesus Christ. See, it was vital that they understand that the peace that Christ was bringing and that the gospel of peace, which they were going to proclaim, they were going to put that out there, 
was to be met with stern opposition from the world. You know, people aren't opposed to spiritual things. They're not opposed to God. But when you start talking about Jesus Christ, they begin to get offended. That's really what he's talking about. His first point is this. Even though he's the prince of peace and preaches the gospel of peace, they're still going to face opposition. Don't think you're going to go out there, disciples, and just begin preaching and and people are just going to flock to you. It's not going to happen that way. There's still going to be people who are against the gospel. See, the disciples, they were still not clear about this. They were still not certain about the type of opposition that their message was going to meet. But he doesn't want them to be surprised. He wants them to be realistic about what's going to happen, but not surprised. I think this is huge. He also wanted them to know that when they are opposed... When people come against you, it's not a mark of failure. It's working out just like he planned. You know, we, we need to remember that today. I mean, we live in a nation whose society was once broadly characterized by embracing Christianity. We were called a Christian nation, and Christianity permeated many aspects of our society. And today, its influence is most definitely waning and as it does, most and many Christians from many different denominations, traditions, have begun to band together to make a unified profession of our Lord against a pagan world, against a pagan society. We've seen that. There's a melding of denominations unified under Jesus Christ. And I think that's huge. That's good. Because we need to stand together We need to stand up under the lordship of Jesus Christ publicly. A day is coming not far from now when you are going to be questioned about whether or not you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And I would say go ahead and settle it in your mind now. Go ahead and make sure that you know that he is the Lord of life. See, if we're working together in ways that we've never worked together before, that may be a very good thing, but we must not expect the response to our reconciliation to be everyone waving flags and cheering and saying, oh, this is so wonderful. See, it may be precisely as the Lord reconciles us, the world will become even more opposed to the gospel and to Christ's disciples and to the church itself. See, we do what's right. We live by his word. We do what's right. And we recognize that even when gospel peace dwells in reality in our midst, that won't mean that the world will love us. Oh, there will be many who embrace Christ. They will be called to him. And they will be moved by the testimony of the unity of the church. But there will be many others that hate the church and hate Christ even more. And you ask the question, well, is something wrong here? Yes. Is there something wrong with God's plan? No. There is something wrong, but it's not with God's plan. It's something wrong in the hearts of men and women. You see, it's because of the hardness of our hearts. Their hearts are hard and cold like a rock. 
That's why there's a problem. Because of the hardness of our hearts, they, we oppose the gospel. You know, we really don't like hearing these words. These words really hit home, I want to say, here in Texas. Because we believe in strong, extended networks of families. And we know what it is to oppose those networks or to stray from the will of those who are strong in our extended families. And we are a people that very much care about our families, like the disciples. But Jesus is not telling his disciples, don't take care of your family. He's not saying, you know, once you accept me, make sure you go back and be as offensive and obnoxious as as possible to your unsaved parents. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying break off all relations with those pagan brothers and sisters and despise them every hour of the day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, disciples, look, if you love me, if you become my disciple, you may well face opposition and it may be the opposition of your own family. And when you face that opposition, you're going to be forced with a choice. It's either us, your family, or Jesus. And when that choice is put before you by your family, Jesus is saying, your loyalty must be with me. You must be prepared to embrace me even if your family does not understand. See, he's preparing his disciples for opposition that's going to come. The gospel of peace, which he brings, sometimes brings warfare with those who hate him and those who hate the gospel. And folks, we ourselves must be prepared for that kind of spiritual battle. Moving on, we must also choose Christ over everyone and everything else. I mean, Jesus tells that his gospel, tells us that his gospel brings both peace and conflict. In verse 37, he said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. See, he calls his disciples to this loyalty. And he says that he is the one to whom we must be loyal at all costs. He teaches us that the Christian must choose Christ over everything and everyone. And the meaning of these words is is pretty simple. I mean, it is such a tremendous privilege to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're all going to put our faith in something. Jesus Christ is worthy. I mean, to be a friend of Jesus, to be a brother or sister of the Lord Jesus, there is no other relation on earth more sacred, and there is no other relation that takes precedence over that. Oh, we love our families. We love our moms, our dads. We love our children. We love our spouses. Our willingness to sacrifice for Christ because of that relationship, because of the relationship we have with him, is to... Be totally all in with Jesus. And this is huge because I know that many times we we don't feel that way and we fall short. We're to be ready to give him everything and to love him with everything that we are. 
Because we are his, bought with a price. And he is ours. He calls us to be ready to bear the cross. That's a symbol of a willingness to give up everything, to endure pain, to endure shame, to endure persecution, even death, for his name. See, the person who claims to be a Christian who does not take these words to heart, in the end, according to Jesus, will suffer loss. I don't want to be that guy. I don't believe you do either. You know, William Hendrickson, he, he says, Jesus means here that the person who, when the issue is between me, Jesus, and what this, that person considers his own interest, chooses his own interests. Okay? That person thinking that he's going to find for himself a firmer hold on life will be bitterly disappointed. He will lose rather than gain. And his happiness and usefulness will shrink and shrivel rather than increase. And at last he will perish everlastingly. And Jesus is saying that if we're making terms with the world at the expense of our conscience, that that's going to cost us. He's saying that we cannot have peace with the world at the expense of loyalty to him. Following Jesus and being in love with the world are two things that are completely opposite. They're enemies of each other. No man can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and despise the other, or he will hate the one and love the other. Folks, we've got to choose who our Lord is. You know, I love this because, again, it applies to everything in our lives. It it applies to every relationship we have. It applies to every possession. It applies to every calling, every circumstance, every conduct. Because nothing, nothing can preempt God. Nothing can preempt Christ in our life, both individually and corporately. You know, I think young people probably know this. I mean, we live in a day where peer pressure among students is is probably greater than it's ever been. I mean, have you ever been tempted in order to be included and in order to be considered part of a particular crowd to either deny or downplay your faith because you know it wouldn't be considered cool to be a Christian or to say that you go to church or to, to count the name of Christ as who you are? See, most of us face those things, especially in our school days, maybe our college days. But you know what I've found? I've found that it doesn't stop there. It follows us all through life. It goes on the rest of your life. There will always going to be times where you have the desire to and tempt, are tempted to compromise our loyalty to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying here, if... You're going to be my disciple. You need to be ready to die for me. And if we're going to be able to die for him, then we need to begin by dying to self. That will reflect in our priorities, our desires, our attitudes. 
the things in life which are most important, the things uh, of Christ, and, and, and they will show up in our commitments and our, our attitudes and our behavior because Jesus is calling us to be ready to die for him. He's getting ready to send his disciples out to preach, and he's saying, be ready in case this happens. You may have to die for me. Let's look at verse 40 there. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me, him, uh, excuse me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. I love that. Christ will reward even the least kindness shown to his disciples. See, Jesus is calling us to realize that he has constant concern for us. Jesus knows that the task that he has entrusted to us and to the disciples is very hard. And he's saying, you need to be prepared for the world to reject you, for the world to oppose you, for the world to hate you, maybe even for the world to kill you. But I want to remind you, I care for you. I will take care of you. I know what's going on with you. I care about the details in your life. He's teaching us here that the eyes of the master are on his disciples. Can you imagine the encouragement that those disciples felt when he said this? Whatever you do, I will be watching. I will be seeing that. I, will, I know what you are up to. And he's saying that he takes notice of all who oppose us. And he takes notice of all of those who help us and those who are kind to us. He's reminding us that he never forgets his people. You remember back in the book of Genesis, you have Joseph and the butler may have forgotten Joseph in the prison after Joseph helped him, you know, get out of his fix. But the Lord didn't forget Joseph. And the Lord never forgets his people. Amen. He says the smallest act of service. Jesus is saying here that the smallest act of service to the most insignificant of my disciples will be rewarded as though it had been rendered to me myself. <laughs> He's saying that he takes notice of everything that is done to his disciples. And he rewards those kindnesses done. And he will punish the opposition. You remember when Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was called Saul, met Jesus in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, on the way to Damascus. Saul of Tarsus, he was there and he was you know, persecuting the church and with all of his persecuting zeal, just pressing the church, the Lord Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, for Saul, to persecute Christians was to persecute Christ. And Jesus was ready to bring judgment against those who persecute him. Now, on the other hand, you read in Matthew 25, he makes it clear that for those who minister to his disciples, to those who are his brothers and sisters, to those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are naked, those who are in prison, 
as they minister to them, we are ministering to Christ himself. And he says he rewards everything. He's taking notice. I'm almost done, but let me just finish with this. It is essential that as a Christian disciple that we confess publicly Jesus Christ as our Lord. Verse 32, therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. I don't think he could make that any plainer. If you confess me here, I will confess you there. And if you don't confess me here, I won't confess you there. I mean, he expects his disciples to to publicly confess him as our Lord and our Savior. Jesus is saying that his disciples must openly own his lordship in their lives. That, that only by their public profession of him in their lives is that confessing him. You cannot be a closet Christian disciple. You must publicly confess him. Those who show him that he is their Lord. You know, when those difficult days, those difficult times in life come, and it all comes to each one of us, difficult days, when it's hard to be a servant of the Lord, when it's hard to be a disciple of the Lord, when those days come along, we're to show ourselves to be his disciples by our obedience. And Jesus is clearly asserting his lordship here. Notice he attributes to himself. Jesus is saying that he himself, the prerogative of determining in the end who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. That's his choice. If you confess me, I confess you. If you deny me, I deny you. He makes it clear he has the right to choose. Jesus is the one who will make the final decision. It's his call. It's his call. And it's all based on our relationship with him. If we trust him, if we profess him, if we openly confess him before others. So, he's basically saying, if you're confessing my name, And it costs you everything. Just remember, everything that you lose for me will not even compare to what I will give you when I confess you before the Father. Whatever you give up here, it's going to be more given back to you when I confess you before the Father. It's not even going to compare. But you see, we all have the opportunity to confess him as our Lord. Many times we want to confess him as our Savior because we don't want to go to hell. But he's saying, you need to confess me as your Lord, as the boss, as the priority in your life. 
I'm not taking a second seat. And the thing is, (laughs) he's a gentleman. He's not going to force you to do it. You have to be willing to do it yourself. I can't guilt you into it. All I can tell you is the truth of what God's word says. But you have to be willing to make him your Lord and Savior. So I ask you, will you confess today Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Will you come to Jesus today? I can't make it any plainer. But we all fall short. We're all sinful beings. Guilty as charged. But what he's asking is he's asking, are you willing to be willing to die for me, to make me your Lord, to sign on with me to do this here? And the reality is he's not calling us to die for him. He's calling us to live for him. He's calling us to die to self so that we can live for him. In just a few moments, our worship team is going to come and lead us in a couple of worship songs. You know, this is, this is the word of God. I invite you to respond to the word of God. If you've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior and you want to do that, I encourage you to do that this morning. I'm going to be sitting right down here, standing right down here. You come down. Come, come talk to me. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I'm a believer. I'm just not plugged in anywhere. If you're looking for a good church home, this is a good one. Maybe you've, fought, maybe you've made him your Lord, but you've not followed him in baptism in obedience. If you want to follow him in baptism, let me know that. We will do that. I want you to be obedient to the Lord, whatever he's putting on your heart. But when we begin to sing, and when that music starts, I invite you to move and to respond to how the Holy Spirit is leading you this morning. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. Father, I pray that we would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Father, that you would build into each one of our lives in our inner person the strength that we need to stand firm upon your word. Father, to not be ashamed of who Jesus is the one who gave his life for ours, the one who gave his life so that we could be at peace with you, Father. Lord, I ask that you would help us just to be the disciple that you call us to be. Father, we all fall short. There's times where we've compromised. There's times when we've not shown that loyalty. There's been times where we may have even denied that we knew Jesus. Father, I'm thankful that you are the God of second chances. I'm thankful that after Peter denied you, Lord Jesus, you restored him. 
Father, that after we have denied you, you can still restore us. Father, I pray that in this room you would find hearts that are willing to be willing. Holy Spirit, in this moment, check us. See if there is any wicked way within us. Bring it to the light. Help us to confess it to you. Father, that times of refreshing, that times of revival, Father, that times of obedience to you would come into focus and we would be all that you created us to be. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us to give us the truth. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You come. You respond.